Thank you for joining us today. My name is Becky and I'm a volunteer here at ACC. I know we're all anxiously praying for the day that we can worship together in person, but for now, it's great to see you today online to worship together. Somewhere on your screen is a link to access our communication card. Please take a moment to fill that out. You are able to leave prayer requests, and if you're not getting communication from Chris, our family pastor, about the Sunday School curriculum, please check that on your card so that you can get that email. Just one quick announcement today. On July 25th, Saturday, we are having a trivia night. You can find out information about that on our website. Now we're going to worship together through song. Waited for this day, we're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see you Open up the floodgates, a mighty river Flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise Your presence in this place, your glory on our face we're looking to the sky Descending like a cloud You're standing with us now Lord, unveil our eyes You're the reason we're here You're the reason we're singing Open up the heavens We want to see you Gates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Show us, show us your glory, show us, show us your power, show us, show us your glory, Lord. Show us, show us your glory, show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Open up the 
heavens We want to see you open up the floodgates A mighty river flowing from your heart Filling every part of our praise Open up the heavens We want to see you open up the floodgates a mighty river flowing from your heart Filling every part of our praise When I am you are strength when I'm undone And all my shame you show mercy You are hope that never fails And all my doubts you are faithful You are peace in all my storms When waves of life come around me You are hope that never fails You're the anchor that holds my soul forever You are faithful Trial. You are with me when waves come crashing over You will love me, you are my God When troubles come, you're my stronghold And I am safe in your embrace When tempests roar, you are constant You are hope that never fails You're the anchor that holds my soul forever You are faithful through every trial You are with me when waves come
Welcome. My name is Chris Majeski. I'm the family pastor here at ACC, and it's my privilege to share with you from God's Word this morning. Uh, well, for our topic today, we're going to be looking at freedom. We'll be talking about freedom. And I wonder what comes up for you when I say that word freedom. Do you remember your first taste of freedom as a kid? I was reminded of that recently with my son. Uh, my son uh, is uh, nine years old, and he's been uh, riding his bike around our neighborhood, and we've been giving him some freedom to do that. Uh, he will sometimes meet up on the bike path with his friend and ride to his house, not too far from our house, or, or ride around the block, things like that. He's been experiencing that freedom, uh, and I've watched how, that, how exhilarating that was for him, how fun that was for him. Uh, and, I, and I was reminded of my, my childhood and the times that I got those first freedoms, uh, going to the park by myself. Uh, and, and I remember going and, and being like, are you kidding me? I get to do this without an adult? I get to be by myself and go? This is great. There's nobody watching over me. Uh, or, or I lived in an apartment complex for a little while growing up, and we had a pool. And I remember the first time I got to go to the pool without an adult. Like there was an age limit that, had, that was there, and I, I, I met that age requirement, and my mom said it was okay, and I got to go to the pool by myself. That was pretty amazing for me. Well, I think uh, we, we learn a lesson pretty quick when it comes to freedom, and that's that, that freedom comes with responsibility. Uh, that that when, when we receive that freedom, when we have that freedom, then there's, there's certain kind of obligations or responsibilities that go with that. I can remember in high school, uh, in my later years in high school, not, not having a, a bedtime, a, uh, like an enforced time to go to sleep, making the choice for myself. There's freedom in that. And I can remember choosing to stay up super late. And then regretting it the next morning when I had to get up early for school. Uh, there was a responsibility there that I had uh, to use my freedom wisely that would set me up for success. And unfortunately, I had to learn some hard lessons in that. 
Uh, or, or I think of getting my, my driver's license. Man, what a sense of freedom that was to be able to drive by myself. And, and I saved up money and I had my own car. And that was such a huge sense of freedom. Uh, but yet with that came insurance bills and car maintenance and gas money. I, true story, I ran out of gas, I think, four times in high school. A couple times I was stranded on the side of the road and somebody had to come save me. Another time I like actually ran out as I was trying to get into the gas station. So I had to just like finish pushing it across the road into the gas station to a pump. There's responsibility. I have freedom, uh, but I had to, the responsibility to use that freedom wisely. Uh, and so the reason we're talking about freedom this morning is because we see throughout the scriptures that there's freedom in Christ that Jesus has set us free. And through what Jesus has done on the cross for us, uh, we're free from striving to maintain a set of religious rules and obligations. We're free from this religious uh, structure and ladder that, you know, that, that some, some people kind of believe in, that there's a lot of rules to follow, that kind of thing. We're free from that, from striving, and we're free from sin and death. Uh, we've, we've, those chains have been broken and we've been given new life and we're free to live a rich and satisfying life that God can offer us. And yet, with that freedom comes responsibility. And in the New Testament book of Galatians, um, Paul addresses this idea. Uh, this, this book, uh, Galatians, is, is a letter that was written to a church in Galatia, uh, and it had a group of, of Christ followers there that some were from a Jewish heritage and some were from a non-Jewish heritage. Uh, and and this, this, in, this, in this letter, Paul's trying to encourage their faith and, 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 and wants to make it perfectly clear that salvation is by faith alone. It's not by human effort. Uh, there were some people, uh, some of the Jewish believers in, in this, in this uh, church setting that started to teach that people had to become Jewish in order to be saved. So they had to first become Jewish and, and, and follow all these practices and then add Jesus to that and then they were saved. And Paul's saying, that's, that's not the way it works. You don't follow the law of Moses, their Jewish heritage, and then add Jesus to that. That's not the way it works. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, here's, here's a, a, a summary statement kind of of this. It says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And so Paul is making it perfectly clear to them that it's all about Jesus and that, that there's freedom in Jesus because we don't, we're not, sla- he calls it enslaved to the law. We're not in bondage to the law. We're not held uh, to that. Um, the law actually served to show us what sin really is and how sinful we are and that we needed a savior. And Jesus solved that problem for us. So Paul makes it perfectly clear that we are saved by what Jesus has done for us, not by what we do for ourselves. And because of that, because of God's grace to us, uh, we are, we are uh, uh, given salvation. We have this freedom that leads to our freedom. We don't have to earn it. He's already done it and gives it to us. There's freedom in that. We're not striving to earn it. It's already been done for us. But that freedom, as I said, is to be enjoyed responsibly. It's not an excuse to live however we want. 
It's not an excuse to just do whatever we want because it's already been paid for and we're forgiven. This was another set of problems that was going on at this time period and in this church that Paul's wanting to address. So it's an important concept for us to grasp, this idea of freedom and what it means to enjoy it responsibly. And thankfully, Paul gives us some pretty good explanation on this and he helps us navigate this area. So let's look what he has to say in Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 26. All right, so it says this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not be con uh, become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let's pray and invite God to teach us as we, as we consider what Paul has to say for us here. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for Paul and his wisdom that he shared with this, this church, the wisdom you gave him and he shared with this church in Galatia, and that we can learn from it uh, all these years later. I pray that you would teach us now as we look at your word. Would you open our hearts and minds, and would you help us to understand what it means to enjoy the freedom that we have in Jesus responsibly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few things I see here that I want us to see about this, what it means to enjoy freedom responsibly. The first one is that we have a responsibility, that we, are, uh, we have a responsibility to enjoy this freedom, uh, avoid the extremes. We need to avoid the extremes. Uh, and, and looking at verse 13, looking at verse 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And call to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And so call to live in freedom. Don't go back to the law. We're free from that. All right. That's one extreme would be going back to the law. But then there's this other extreme of satisfying your sinful nature. Uh, uh, so really, it's been said that the two greatest enemies of freedom are the extremes of legalism and of license. And so legalism would be going back to the law. You hear the word legal there, law, right? Uh, and it's a system of creating rules and regulations to follow. And then license would be the other extreme, and that's really freedom taken to excess. It's your license, your right, kind of in that, like a, like a, 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 
privilege that's given. And it's like this, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about it at all. It's freedom without responsibility. And so legalism says you must do these things. And license says you get to do whatever you want and there's no real consequence. Uh, and, and related idea uh, uh, connected to this, this thought is, is uh, the, the idea of cheap grace and costly grace. It's a concept that was, that was uh, taught by uh, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, and he taught about the idea of, of, of grace, God's gift to us of salvation, this free gift that he's given us, his grace, his unmerited favor upon us. We didn't deserve it. We, he gives it to us freely. And he says we can have a, we have two different perspectives on that. We can consider it cheap uh, grace, like we, we don't value it very high. And, and that means we just go ahead and do whatever we want, right? Um, we recognize Jesus paid for uh, our salvation with his life, his, his own life. He died on the cross. And when we just act like we can do whatever we want because we'll be forgiven, it's really not valuing what Jesus did. That's cheap grace. We are, uh, we are not giving it the value that it deserves. We're taking advantage, almost like a blank check, right? I've been forgiven. Go ahead and live however I want. He calls this cheap grace. And instead, he says we should be in a place of what we call, what he calls costly grace, that we recognize just how much our sin costs Jesus, just how much it cost God the Father, his very son. And because of that, we are determined to, to turn away from sin and to live for him. So we don't just go and do whatever we want. We recognize the cost of our salvation. And as a result, we determine to live for righteousness, to live to God's standards. And so really here, the idea of avoiding the extremes is that we are free from sin, not free to sin. So we're free, free from bondage to sin, slavery to sin, and instead uh, we should use that freedom not to go about sinning, but to, uh, to enjoy the freedom of Christ and to, to move away from sin. So there's a big difference between those two things because we can use our freedom to just engage in whatever we want. It's, it's equally sinful to go back to law and build our own righteousness it's equally sinful. That's equally sinful with engaging in whatever we want. Both of those are sinful. So we should be, we are free from sin, not free to sin. We need to know the difference. We're also responsible to serve one another in love. This is the second part of verse, uh, of verse 13. So don't use your, your, your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That would be selfish. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Our freedom should be used to, to care for and to benefit and to, to bless others. Uh, Paul is setting up service as an antidote to selfishness. Uh, he, he's saying his service here is, is really the way of Jesus, not self-interest and self-desire. Selfishness would be indulging in that sinful nature, just doing whatever you want. And he said, instead, look out for the needs of others. And ironically, this is something, this serving one another in love, this is something that could never really be done when they're in bondage to the law, when you're, when you're, when you're stuck under the law. Because the, the law means that, that there are certain things I'm doing that make myself acceptable to God. Uh, I kind of, I'm earning my righteousness, earning, earning this, kind of climbing this ladder thing. And so if I am going to serve someone, even if I have a good motive to serve them, I'm doing it out of self-interest because I'm trying to advance my own righteousness. 
And so that person becomes a means to an end, which is not an authentic way of loving someone. Even if our motives are good, there was still something in it for ourselves. So what Jesus has done for us is it sets us free. It sets us free to love without agenda and to love authentically. In John 13, 34, Jesus talks about how we should love. And he says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So saying to his disciples, says that they should love each other. And that, that he sets the example of how they're to love. He says to love as he has loved. And how did he love? Well, he loved sacrificially. Laying down his own life for them, for us. And so if we're to follow his example, it's going to cost us something. Our freedom, our freedom in Jesus, cost, it cost him something. And if we're to love like he does, it's going to cost us something. Tim Keller in his book, uh, The King's Cross, says that all authentic God-honoring love, all true love is self-sacrificing. To truly love someone means it's going to cost us something. And so we may have to sacrifice our personal preferences or our comfort, maybe our time and money and possessions. To truly love someone, to serve them in love, it's going to cost us something. And we have a responsibility to consider that for ourselves. A responsibility to consider how we're willing to sacrifice and to follow Jesus' example in that. We also have a responsibility to live by the Spirit. This is in verse 16. To live by the Spirit. It says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So Paul tells us to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. To guide our lives. So when he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, I want us to understand who he's talking about. We believe in one God that exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God existing in three persons. All part, all, each person is equally God, and each person is a distinctly different entity. And so we have one God existing in three persons. And the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelled in the temple and would come upon people for certain people, special people for certain, certain, uh, certain times, right? There was a certain task that God had entrusted them with and the Spirit would empower them, but it didn't stay with them. Uh, and we see in the New Testament that, that changes. And in fact, the Holy Spirit resides with us if you are Christ, a Christ follower. It says the Spirit lives within us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, it says. And Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, he says this in in John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the Advocate, see that's capitalized, the Advocate, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When, when, When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says that we're going to have his presence with us. The Holy Spirit's going to be with us, and uh, that he's going, to, he's going to teach us. He's going to, he's going to guide us. He's going to uh, help us to remember the things of God and the things that we should be about. So he is our source, and he lives within, with us. So we live by the Spirit. This is how we, how we know how we, can, how we can live in this freedom. The Spirit will guide us in that. And so a few things is what it means to allow the Spirit to guide us. And we see this in verses 16, 17, and 18 that we've just, uh, in Galatians that we've read. And the first one is that it involves active obedience. Active obedience. So it says, again in verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So somebody wants to guide us, we have to choose to follow them. We have to choose to, to, to obey them. And that involves active, uh, that involves an active choice on our part and, and, and movement, right? Uh, another, a more literal way of translating this guide your lives is to walk with the spirit. And walking involves action on our part. And so it requires decision and intent to say, I'm going to allow the spirit to guide me. I'm going to follow his leading. And so this is a daily decision to order our life according to the spirit and to follow his leading, to let him be the leader. A second thing that I think living by the spirit means is that we should be in constant warfare. This is a, that's kind of a hard thing to, to, to imagine here, right? What does that look like? Uh, but we just, we're just coming with a series of knowing your enemy. And, and we have a real enemy that wants to trip us up. And we also have an enemy within us. And verse 17 tells us about this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So he says, Paul says, within each of us, there is this, this war that's going on. We've got our sinful nature that desires things that are contrary to God. And then we've also got the spirit that's, that, that's empowering us and, and giving us desires that are the things of, for the things of God. And that these two things are in opposition. And so there's a war inside of us. And we need to engage into that battle. We need to step into it. We're freed from sin, right? That Jesus has done that. He's broken those chains. But old habits die hard. And we have those things lingering within us. Our sinful nature is still there trying to entice us back. So it's important for us to understand that, all, that for all Christians, there is this constant battle going on between our sinful nature and our new nature. Paul described in Romans how he says, the very thing I don't want to do, I do. And then the things that he says, this is just going on. This is this, he says, I'm such a wretched man. I can't even get, get peace out of this. I can't make sense out of this. I, I can't seem to do, do the thing that I know I should do all the time. And so if Paul experiences, he's telling us, hey, this is, a, this is a picture every one of you are going to experience in life. This is the way it is to follow Christ, to walk in this freedom of Jesus. There's this battle going on. And so more than just acknowledging that the battle is going on, we need to engage we need to go to battle with our sinful nature and be able to align ourselves with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, living by the Spirit. A third thing to live by the Spirit, uh, I see in verse 18, is that it involves complete submission. It involves us yielding to the Spirit, allowing Him to lead. Uh, talked about active obedience, right? Um, but this is also this idea of putting ourselves under the Spirit, saying, You are the leader. It says this in verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Directed by the Spirit. That's a pretty strong statement. And it's the idea here of a teacher guiding a student, that the teacher is the expert and is giving directions to the student. And so the idea here is we put ourselves under the Spirit and say, you are the expert. I am here as the student. I want to learn. I need to be led. And I submit to you. So we need to be ready to follow the Spirit's leading and to obey when the Spirit convicts us or prompts us to do something. And so Paul tells us here about the freedom that we have in Christ and some of the things that are involved with this, how we navigate this freedom, some of the responsibilities that come with this. 
And so and I'm so happy, though, that he goes further to expel it even more for us what this looks like in everyday life, because there's a lot of gray area here still. Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a, I, I have a need, I feel a need here for more tangible explanation of what this looks like in life. Uh, things are still a little bit fuzzy. And, and, and I think there's something comforting about having some more clear boundaries spelled out for us, more practical description. Uh, this is why I think legalism becomes so appealing to so many Christians. Because if there's this gray area, uh, we, we don't know if we're on the right track. We might question, am I doing it right? Or am I hitting, hitting the right mark? And, and, and so we drift towards rules because that's easier to know. Did I do it or did I not, right? can be easy to drift that way. But Paul gives us some more clarity. And so, so as we consider, how could we evaluate ourselves to make sure we're actually living according to the way God would want us to live? How can we know that we're enjoying this freedom responsibly? Uh, it, it's almost like Paul is saying, um, I, I want to help you here have some more assurance here, some more confidence in this area. Um, and, and, and what he says, uh, in a sense, he says, as you consider that, it, it's pretty obvious. Um, really, if we want to evaluate ourselves, he says it's, it's obvious. Uh, in, in verses 19 through 21, he goes on to explain uh, some things uh, about the, the sinful nature. Um, the, these, these things, uh, he says, are, are products of the sinful nature. These are things that would show up in our lives. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry and sorcery, hostility and quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and others. He says these things are acts of the sinful nature, and, and, and that, that when we engage in these things, he says such a person who's committed to these will not inherit the kingdom of God, that this is not evidence of a changed life. This is not enjoying the freedom responsibly. This is not living for God. And so I want to make, I want to just make clear here what he's saying here when he says that people who engage in these are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about a person who is habitually engaging in these. Somebody whose life is marked by these things. Somebody whose life is, is given over to these. These are the, this is the, the, the thing that's guiding their life are these kinds of activities. See, we all experience a lapse of judgment. Remember, we've got that war going on inside of us. We experience lapse of judgment and we may, you know, look at some of these and say, oh yeah, I can be jealous. I, I can, I can be jealous, right? I can be, uh, uh, you know, involved with some of these, these things, right? These things happen in my life. What he's talking about here is a person who's given to that, whose life is following that trajectory. But because Christ has transformed us, and because the Spirit resides within us, he gives us what he says are, are, are the fruit of the Spirit, or I've, I've listed it here as harvest of the Spirit, because it's the idea that the Spirit has produced these in us, and we can see these. These are like the, the, the harvest. This is what we've collected because of what the Spirit has done in us. And he says that in verses 22 through 23. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says that, that these things, that there's no law against these things, right? That these things are self-evident. These are the things, when you look at these two lists, you look at this list of what the sinful nature accomplishes, and you look at the list of what the Spirit accomplishes, that it's clear which way we should be going. That when we look at our lives and we look at these two lists, we can say, which one am I most in, li- in line, aligned with? Which one of these, uh, it, 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 which, which, which list do I fall more into, right? That's how we can evaluate ourselves. 
And these, these things of the Spirit, these aren't things that come naturally to us. They're countercultural. Uh, and they're things that, 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 that are contrary to our sinful nature. And so that battle that's going on inside of us, the Spirit wants us to go to the, that, that list of, of the fruit of the Spirit, the harvest of the Spirit. And our sinful nature is pulling us towards those other things. So we can evaluate ourselves by just looking at those lists and saying, where am I at? Am I increasingly moving towards the area of the Spirit, or am I increasingly moving to, towards these acts of the sinful nature? As we consider how uh, we responsibly enjoy the freedom we are given in Christ, I want to encourage you to resist the urge to create a new law. Resist the urge to create a new law. We are so wired to want to find clarity and have a system and structure that we know that we can complete. We know we can can, uh, stay within the boundaries given us, right? And so if we take even the fruit of the Spirit that's given there, and then we create a system of rules around that. We've done exactly what Paul doesn't want us to do. We've done exactly what he's telling the Galatians they shouldn't be doing. This is not what God wants for us. Instead, instead of creating a new law, here there are three things that I see that we can do and that, that's in the last part of our, of, our, of our passage in verses 24, 25, and 26. So instead of creating a new law, we should take uh, the, every effort to crucify our sinful nature. In verse 24, it talks about this. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So this is the idea of fighting against our sinful nature, of saying no and standing our ground, right? In Romans, Paul talks about how we are dead to sin, but alive to God. So don't revive the dead part of us. Don't dabble with that. Don't allow it to regain strength. Don't nurse it back to health. Say no to sinful nature. Say no to to sin in your life. If you need to, set up good boundaries to help you you stay away from those areas that you're continually going back to, those areas of struggle. And if you are struggling, reach out and get some help. Talk to a brother or sister in Christ or contact one of us pastors here. We'd love to help you navigate this. You've got to do battle. You've got to, you've got to nail that sinful nature to the cross, as it says, and let it die. Don't revive it. The second thing we can do is to, in verse 25, it, it, it says, to, here's my words, or keep in step with the Spirit, right? Verse 25 talks about how uh, we are living by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And actually, what can be translated there is keep in step with the Spirit. Not, so living by the Spirit can be translated keep in step. Like it's a military term of keeping up, like marching in formation. And a soldier, in order to do that, needs to listen to the orders of a superior officer. He needs to learn to be disciplined, to follow through in the actions that are placed before him and, and to listen for the, the directions. And so we need to do the same. The Holy Spirit doesn't bark out orders at us like a, like a drill sergeant does. He does teach us. And we need to be paying attention. He teaches us through engaging in God's word, through times of prayer, through community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we focus ourselves in these things and into trying to live by the Spirit and listen to him, we can keep in step. The third thing is to stop comparing and see this in verse 26. It says, let us not become, become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. 
Part of the dysfunction that was happening in this church in Galatia is that they were comparing themselves to one another and, and kind of, you know, building up themselves. And there was arguments and pride that was developed in that. Uh, Paul talks about how they were biting and devouring each other. Uh, that's really an ugly picture of, of infighting uh, that was going on in this church. And so, so stop comparing. Stop playing a comparison game. Anytime we play the comparison game, we lose. Because we're comparing what we know of ourselves, which is everything, to what little we know of that other person, what, what they let us see or what we have observed. And so it's a losing battle. We're going to beat ourselves down, but, what, but also from that, we have no idea what's going on in that person's heart. We can't judge their motives. And so we are losing uh, when we play that comparison game. It's destructive. It's harmful towards our spiritual life. And we need to avoid that. We need to stop playing that game. So some steps there to avoid creating a new law. Instead, do these things on a regular basis. That'll help us to enjoy that freedom responsibly. Well, Jesus has set us free. So may you live in the freedom that Christ provides. And may you use your freedom to authentically love God and love others. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross Accused in absence of wrong A sin washed away in your blood Too much to make sense of it all that your love breaks my fall The scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul Willing Oh to be like you To give all I have Just to know you Jesus there's no one besides you Forever the hope in my heart Death, where is your sting? Your power is as dead as my sin The cross has taught me to live Mercy my heart now to sing day and its trouble shall come I know that your strength is enough The scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul will live Oh, to be like you To give all I have just to know There's no one besides you Forever the hope in my heart Don't be like you Give all I have just to know you Jesus, there's no one besides you Forever 
as we pray for our offering. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to gather virtually, hear your message, and sing songs of praise to you. I pray now for the offering that we are receiving, that you would use these funds to serve our community and glorify your name and strengthen the church body. We love you, and we pray all this in your son's, son Jesus' name. Amen. I'd now like to offer the benediction from 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with all of you. Go in peace, serve him.